Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey everybody, this is Trista and you're listening to episode 20 of the Better Etc. podcast. We made it to 20! Oh, that's so crazy and something I'm really proud of. But of course, I really hope that, you know, in the future, that that's a really, really small number in the grand scheme of better, et cetera. So anyway, thanks for listening today. I will be talking in a bit with Ian Morgan Cron, who is an Enneagram expert. And wow, this conversation is so, so powerful. It just scratches the surface of the Enneagram. But after this conversation, I think that you will, well, I know that you'll get clues to what type you are. And I bet that you will want to dig in just as much as I do now after talking to Ian and figuring out my type. Plus, you'll also get a 15% off code to take his IEQ9 test, which is an Enneagram test that is super comprehensive and gives you so, so much information on really your personality and your successes, your failures, and how to live a better life. Honestly, he is so well-versed in it. He's been studying it for a very long time, and he shares with us the basics, but also gets into a bit more detail. We only have a specific amount of time, so we could talk for hours about this, honestly. And he effectively discusses uh, me and Ryan (laughs) and our types and how our marriage is. And if you thought you knew us from The Bachelorette, oh, just wait. You're going to get to know a whole lot more about us by listening to what type we are and how those types interact. So I hope that you'll continue to listen, but for now, I'm going to do little Trista's takes, and I know on my Instagram story for anyone who saw that this past week that I was going to talk about the day I had today, and I will do that in my next episode because I really, really wanted to share for now this email that I got. So after you take the IEQ-9, you get this comprehensive package of results, but he also puts you on an email list. And this week, I got a really inspiring email from him that I wanted to share with you all, obviously, because this is the Enneagram episode, and I'm talking to Ian. So this is this is from Ian. It is a story all about him. So here we go. I'm going to read it to you right now, and hopefully you'll find a bit of inspiration from it, just like I did. I was 27 a newlywed, and only two months into my recovery from an alcohol and drug addiction when I had my first panic attack. If you've never had an anxiety episode, and I hope you haven't, they feel like rapid onset madness. They're bad. I mean, hell bad. Medically speaking, you're fine, but you have been through quite a few transitions over the past year, my doctor explained while ripping the Velcro to loosen the blood pressure cuff on my arm. I think you should see my friend, Dan Brannigan. He's a psychologist, he said, scribbling a phone number on a piece of paper and handing it to me. I'll see a witch doctor if it would help, I said, rolling down my sleeve. A day later, I had my first appointment with Dan. In our session, I told him how I imagined this should be the happiest time of my life, and yet I felt like I was falling to pieces. When Dan asked me to tell him about my family, I hemmed and hawed, looking for a place to start. It was then that I heard a voice inside my head say, let go, I'll take it from here. For the next two hours, I told Dan the tale of my growing up with an alcoholic father who worked for the CIA. I shared memories about my courageous mother and how she tried to protect my siblings and me. And lastly, I told him about my lifelong struggle to answer the question, who am I, and the drugs I'd used to numb my pain. Sorry for rambling, I muttered when I ran out of steam. Dan took a deep breath. I want to sit quietly for a moment and honor the story you've just told. It was sacred, he said. Honor the story. It was a phrase that touched something deep within my soul. I felt like I was like peering through the machine optometrist used to test your vision. Only I wasn't looking in an eye chart, but over the landscape of my life. As he said those three words, a new lens flipped into place and things looked different. Not better, just different somehow. 
When Dan opened his eyes, he sat up straight. Do you have any questions for me before you go, Ian? He said. What's happening to me? I asked, my eyes welling with tears. I couldn't leave without knowing. Dan gazed out the window next to his chair for a moment, hunting for the right words. You're waking up, he said, smiling. And with that, my painful but life-giving journey into greater self-knowledge and awakening to my true self began. Over the next few emails, I want to share more about how you can start your journey toward attaining self-knowledge and discovering your authentic self. I'll also reveal how your Enneagram system of personality has profoundly helped me on that journey and how it can help you on yours as well. Until then, take time to remember and honor your story. It's sacred. I just loved that because everyone has their own story. Everyone has a past and wonderful things and hurtful things and things that have happened to other people that they have learned from. We all have a past. We all have a story. And I think that he's right. We all need to honor that story. And a way to do that is to truly get to know you. And I believe, especially after talking to Ian, that this is such a powerful tool to allow us to know ourselves so we can communicate better with the people in our lives so we can get through the struggles easier because we know what we're struggling with and why it means so much to us. I know it's hard to believe that the Enneagram could do that because there's only nine personality types and you think, well, how many billion people are on the planet? And there can't just be nine personality types, but it is kind of like listening to a psychic telling you who you are when you find out your type because you're like, oh yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. It's awe-inspiring, honestly. So I hope that you'll continue to listen to this conversation and maybe start to do some research and some building on the who am I question and honoring your story. Here we go. Ian Morgan Cron is with me today, and I'm so excited. He's a counselor. He's a best-selling author. He's a nationally recognized speaker. He's a corporate consultant. He's a podcast host himself of an incredible podcast called Typology. He's actually an award-winning songwriter and Episcopal priest, and he's an Enneagram teacher, and he's here to teach me today. So welcome, Ian Morgan Cron. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited. So for those out there who are Bachelor fans, I actually found Ian through one of probably your favorites, Ben Higgins. So I was scrolling Instagram and just searching for anybody out there who could talk to me about Enneagrams. And I came across Typology. And of course, lo and behold, Ben Higgins is there and he's a friend of mine. And I was like, Ben, hey, can you introduce me? Because I need somebody to come on better, et cetera and talk about this personality test. So this is his book, The Road Back to You. And I have been reviewing it, although I will be digging in way deeper after we talk about all about me and my husband, <laughs> as well as into the IEQ-9, which is the Enneagram test that you, you have on your website, mm -hmm. which actually, thankful to you, all of my listeners today will get 15% and I'll give you the code at the end of the of the podcast. So if you want to take this personality test, but it's really comprehensive. It tells you so, so much. So I'm really excited to dig into that with myself and my husband and hear your thoughts about our relationship and how I can be better with my husband or how we can be better together. But first, I really would love for anyone out there, because I've talked to a lot of people recently about it, and not everyone knows about it, even though I feel like it is becoming more and more popular in the mainstream, and more and more people are talking about it and their types, I would really love to start with the basics of what really the Enneagram is. So can you explain the basics of what it is? Yeah, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a, a way to cope, to protect ourselves and feel safe in the world. And each type has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences 
how that type habitually and predictably acts, thinks, and feels. I mean, so cool that to think that there's nine, although what I would love for you to talk about now is kind of the the intricate parts of it, because it's extremely complex, um, what I'm finding. And there are all kinds of little bits. Well, not really little. They play, I feel like, a big part. The wings, the stress and security numbers, the deadly sins. Can you explain kind of the the more complex details about those other things that actually act to create infinite ways that these nine personality types can express themselves, I guess, in people's people's personalities? Well, you know, one of the things I like to tell people who uh, object to the idea that there are only nine personality styles in a world of seven billion people. Yeah. <laughs> Right. The way I explain it is think about the color spectrum. Uh, okay. According to science, for example, every color has an infinite variety of contrasts and hues, uh, saturation. And, you know, that means that there are an infinite number of reds on the spectrum, right? So by way of analogy, think of type threes, the performers, as the color red, Right. There are an infinite variety of expressions of that red, but they're all red. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, this is why sometimes you'll get two people of the same type who really don't look anything like each other. Mm -hmm. What ties them together is this unconscious motivation. And that's a very important idea. In the Enneagram, we have this mantra, which is, it's not what you do, but why you do it that matters, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, you actually contain all nine types, you will identify parts of yourself with all nine types. It's just that you're dominant in one of them. One of them sounds more like you than the eight others, right? Yeah. So that's how you, you determine your type by the unconscious motivation, not by the traits or characteristic behaviors of types, right? Because you have all nine in you. And if you go to it by characteristics and traits, you will become utterly confused. So right. maybe, maybe in a moment we'll, we'll do a quick 100,000 foot flyby of all nine types and I'll describe what the unconscious motivation is. And then people perhaps, even as they listen, can say, oh, that one sounds more like what motivates me than any of the other unconscious motivations that I just, you know, mentioned. Yeah, the, the Enneagram, just so you know, it is complicated, but it's easy to learn. It's hard to master, meaning that you don't have to get into all the complicated stuff to get a ton out of it, right? You can right. just choose right. to you know, put your feet in, learn your type, get a lot out of it, move on, right? Or you can go down the wormhole. <laughs> like you did. <laughs> yes. And get, you know, think of it this way. Your basic type, just knowing that is like a low resolution picture of your personality. When you learn these things called wings, you get a higher resolution. When you learn about these things called subtypes, you get a higher, much higher resolution. And then when you learn about stress and what you're like in stress and security, more higher, you know, now you're into 4K. So again, you know, you can learn your basic type and learn a lot about it. Maybe learn about the other types and then go, oh, that's really great. I'm glad I know that. Or you can really learn a ton about yourself and others by just... Like in my book, The Road Back to You, it's a primer, you know, it's an introduction. So you get a lot out of it. You can walk away from that book and never read another one and still walk away with a solid understanding of the Enneagram and use it in your daily life. Oh, I totally agree. It's really interesting to me. And instead of just knowing what type I am, using those stress and security numbers, the deadly sins, you know, all of that to be able to better my life, be more authentic to who I am and create better relationships with the people in my life. Right. Isn't that the purpose to you? Is that why you became interested in it? Well, I mean, I, I became interested in the Enneagram because I was a therapist, number one. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, it was really intriguing. And I thought, man, incredibly helpful. You know, the Enneagram touches, once you learn it and you develop self-awareness, self-knowledge, mm -hmm. self-understanding, uh, it just empowers you to move through the world with so much more emotional wisdom in your relationships, 
with yourself, with other people. And I just don't, I don't know any other instrument that's as powerful or as useful every day as the Enneagram. And I've, I've gone through a ton of these, you know, all the different personality typing systems and none of them comes close to kind of the genius of the Enneagram. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The more that I get into it, you know, and I, I have an interest in psychology. I've talked to a lot of life coaches, especially on the podcast. And I feel like this is a very specific way to find answers to helping to better your life, a very specific way. You know, there are definitely techniques that you can use from psychologists and, you know, you can talk to different people. And if you have a connection and they help you, I'm, I'm definitely not saying don't, don't seek psychological help if you are struggling or even you want to get to know yourself better. But I feel like this is a very specific way that you can do that. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. So I took the IEQ 9 and I took it the first time. And in the back of my mind, you know, before you take the test, it says how to take the test, like what to think about when you're answering the questions, because they're pretty in depth. I mean, some of the questions really, I had to sit there and think, huh, how would I answer this question? And I know you're supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be the first thing that comes to your mind. But I really had to think about some of them. And my husband's going through kind of what we're calling a medical mystery. And so it's pretty stressful in our lives right now. And, and that's a very big focus for me as kind of his advocate. And so that was in my mind a lot when I answered the questions at first, when I first took the test. And I got the results back. And I was like reading through it. And I thought, this, just, this doesn't sound like me. And I think it was because I asked if I could take it again. So I took it again and I came out with what I have traditionally been on other Enneagram tests. And it, it does make more sense to me. And I think it was because that, that specific part was clouding it in a way. Does that ever happen to people? Like, am I totally abnormal? <laughs> no, not necessarily. I think, you know, when we're under times of stress or uncertainty, our type can begin to act sometimes, well, it will act differently than it does when it's not under stress, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you learn the Enneagram, one of the cool things is, is it describes what your type is like when it's, you know, under pressure and going through a difficult phase. So it, it, it honors the fact that the human personality is fluid, dynamic, and adaptable, right? It doesn't, you're never, like the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It really doesn't. It actually tells you about the box you're already in and how to get out of it, you know? Love that. We Love just have it. so many predictable patterns like, okay, this is what I tend to act like when I'm under stress. This is what I'm like when I'm feeling good. Because, you know, in the course of a day, we're kind of all over the continuum. Mm -hmm. and, and when you know that, when you're heading toward the, what I would call the not so great side of your personality, you know, like you go into what I would call reactivity rather than being responsive to life, mm -hmm. you can spot it and say, uh oh, okay, I am heading in the wrong direction. And, uh, but because I know myself and the Enneagram has helped me develop a compassionate self understanding. I can make new choices now. I can choose to go in a different direction than the one I used to go in. That never ended well. Yes, right. <laughs> right? So, yes. you know, that to me is the a lot of the, well, one facet of the value in it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But I, you know, in taking it over, I was like, am I doing this wrong? But I really didn't feel connected to that first one. And I I don't know. Instinctually, I feel like it was because I was answering it based on our life currently and not over my lifetime, like who I truly am. Not, you know, not just because of this situation that we're going through. Yeah, I would just say maybe you want to go back and answer the questions based on how you understand yourself for as long back as you can remember. You know, this is mm -hmm. how I've been for as long as I can remember. Uh, in, you know, these are constants, these are givens in my life that have always been there. And then I think you're going to come up with a more accurate 
you know, you may have an accurate result. I don't know, but, but it would help you, you know, you self-identify as a two and maybe we can go through all nine types and that would help your folks who are maybe scratching their head going, well, what are the types? Um, (laughs) And then when we get, then, then when we get to two, I can, uh, well, when we get to the end, I can circle back and describe two. And uh, there's another type that is similar to twos that you might identify Mm -hmm. with more. Who knows? We'll find out. Okay. Yeah. I'd love for you to go through the types. That'd be great. Okay. So type ones are called the improvers and they are ethical, meticulous, detail-oriented, often morally heroic people who are motivated by a need to perfect themselves, others, and the world. Mm-hmm. So twos are called the helpers. They are, these folks are warm. They're caring. They're supportive. They're giving. They're motivated really by a need to be liked and to get their needs met through, at times, strategic giving. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the threes are called the performers. They're success oriented. They're image conscious. They're wired for productivity and they're motivated by a need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, fours, the best number on the Enneagram. Uh, I know what you are. <laughs> they're, uh, they're creative, sensitive, imaginative, disproportionately represented among people in the creative arts. And they're motivated by, I think, a need to find a place of belonging in the world. And they do it really by projecting an image of specialness and uniqueness to compensate for what they perceive as a missing piece in their essential makeup. Okay. Okay. Fives are called the investigators, analytical, detached, very private often the most emotionally detached number on the Enneagram at their worst, emotionally unavailable number on the Enneagram. They're motivated by a need to gain knowledge, to Mm -hmm. conserve energy and avoid relying on others. Mm -hmm. Sixes are called the loyalists, committed, practical, witty. They're worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security, safety, and support. Mm -hmm. Sevens are called the enthusiasts. These folks are fun. They are spontaneous. They are adventurous. They are Robin Williams. Uh, They they are motivated by a need uh, to avoid psychological and emotional pain. Eights are called the challengers, uh, commanding, intense, sometimes confrontational. These folks can start an argument in an empty house. (laughs) They are motivated by a need to be, I will say it this way, to, a need to assert strength and control over the environment and others mm-hmm. uh, in order to mask vulnerable and tender feelings, right? To mask mm-hmm. vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, nines, they're pleasant, they're laid back, they're accommodating, they're called the sweethearts of the Enneagram. Aww. Yeah, they're don't rock the boat, go with the flow people who are motivated by a need to keep the internal, their internal and external peace and to avoid conflict at all costs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Know a lot of those. <laughs> there are a lot of those for sure. Uh, so there's a, there's just a run of the, of the, of those nine types, just to give people a sense of the whole system. And just to remind them, there are an infinite number of varieties uh, of each of those types, how they give expression to that unconscious motivation. I mean, that was so, you're so good at this. How long have you been doing it? (laughs) A long time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like just knowing all of those. And I know, you know, so much more than just that, but, um, oh my gosh, incredible. Okay. So there was on the results that I got, what was the word? There was a word Oh, it was ambition, keyword, ambition. What are keywords about on this result? Are there different keywords? Yeah. I mean, I I would say for a two, which you Mm -hmm. identify as the helper, keywords would be, like I said, warm, caring, giving, supportive. Oh, okay. They they, uh, like, like threes and fours, they are people who project an image. In your case, it would be, uh, Projecting an image of helpfulness, uh, I, I'm there for you, I want to help. 
There's a kind of a mm-hmm. cheerfulness at their worst. And remember, the Enneagram actually reveals what's best about you and what's not best about you. Which I think is super helpful. Oh, yeah. So when a two is not very self-aware, what they do is they use helping and giving as a strategy to win the approval of others, to be liked, right? And, yeah. and so there's this kind of compulsive stepping in to uh, offer service to others. Like twos are like the ones who have a hard time saying no to anyone. They are overwhelmed <laughs> by the fact that they have offered help to a million people. To, and they have this psychic ability to read what others need, sometimes more accurately than the person who has the need, you know? Now, that's a wonderful so gift. That's a wonderful gift if you use it to, and you have, but if you have boundaries, if you know how to say no when you should, mm-hmm. um, if you're in tune with your own needs, which a lot, most twos are not, they're really good at reading others, people's needs, but not their own. Yeah. Um, they're not very good at expressing their needs directly to others. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a mm-hmm. fear uh, on the part of twos in that regard. And when they're not very self-aware, sometimes their giving isn't, it comes with strings attached. And there's kind, mm. there's kind of a, it's kind of calculated and strategic. I'm not saying that that's a conscious behavior. Uh, I think sometimes it's subconscious, sometimes it's just unconscious. But it's like, if I take care of your needs, I'm going to make a contract with you that you may not even be aware of, that you will meet my needs. <laughs> right. And I won't even have to ask for it directly because I'm afraid that if I do, I might end up being rejected or humiliated for having those needs. So again, the Enneagram goes pretty deep into people's unconscious life. And that's what makes it powerful because the things that control your life from the shadows and your unconscious Mm -hmm. is what causes you so much trouble. It's, it's why you get up in the morning and ask yourself frequently, why do I do the same thing over and over and over again? <laughs> and it just never serves me. Never. Yeah, yeah. Now, by the way, that behavior served you as a little kid to, get mm. your, to help you get your needs met. But as an adult, operating with a child's approach to the world is not good, right? It's not a great thing. Is this thing that is environmental and, and, you know, the nature nurture thing, are we born with, with our types or is that 100% developed just because of the environment that we grew up in? Well, you know, it's both, right? I mean, we're born with a certain disposition and temperament. Like I've got three kids. So I have a a nine peacemaker on the Enneagram and that kid came in the world so serene, so tranquil, so agreeable and go with the flow. She was a delight. I have an eight challenger who came into the world a little angry, (laughs) you know, just charging around and not afraid to stand up for herself or stand up to bullies, didn't like to be told what to do, right? And just a bundle of energy. And then I have a seven, the enthusiast. This kid came into the world laughing, just a clown, a charmer, a storyteller, an exaggerator. Uh, And every time he walked into a room, he just brought so much joy. That said, just remember, all three of those types, if they're not self-aware, will bang guardrail to guardrail through other people's lives. They'll make a mess. Yeah. Well, anyone would, right? If you don't know, truly know yourself. Yeah. So speaking of your kids, what age do you recommend giving this? And could parents use this in any way, shape or form to help them be better parents? Like giving, knowing their child's type. Yeah. I mean, different teachers have different opinions about this. Some will say, wait until the personality is you know, firmly in place and maybe mid to late adolescence, you know, mm-hmm. others say, man, you know, by 10 years old, you can really see what's going on here, you know, and I've kind of opened to both possibilities. You know, I think sometimes whatever you do, it's wise not to become too confident in what you think your child's type is, you know, like they are the ones who eventually should tell you what it is. 
Got it. Let them discover themselves. And, and oftentimes that adolescence, I always tell parents, you know, wait until they ask about the Enneagram. If it's a big part of your life, eventually they're going to ask about it. And, mm-hmm. and let them initiate their own self-discovery. Because if you go around saying, oh, you're a six, darling, or you're a two, you are going to turn that kid off so fast and they are going to just dig their heels in and never want to know anything about it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Because I was like, hmm, could I use this to help me figure out my children and better parent them? But um, you're right. Yeah. Like, for example, I have done that. I did do that with my children, but I never told them that I had yeah. suspicions. I had, right. sus- but I didn't have facts. They they had to come back and tell me eventually what they were. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I was right about their types, but I, I'm not, even as an expert in the Enneagram, I I just always hold what I suspect is some, because I can't see their unconscious motivations. Only they can. Mm-hmm. So you have to have some humility with it and not use it as a weapon. Like, oh, I know the Enneagram and, you know, I'm going to type everyone, including my dog. Um, <laughs> it's, that's just so obnoxious. And, yes. and most people don't know enough about the Enneagram to be really good at it anyway. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's so complex. I feel like you'd have to be, you know, in it. For years and years and years to actually truly be become any kind of expert. So, yeah. But you can know it after, let's say, reading my book, The Road Back to You, well enough that it will help you. You don't have to become a master uh, of this thing to really get it. Because you don't have to know everyone's types. Like, I, I would like to know all about my husband's type and my kids, if that's possible, like looking into it and not pigeonholing them into one and not sharing that I'm doing that, obviously, with them. But I want to know more about mine and my husband's and the people close to me in order to better those relationships. But in order to know all the rest of them, I just don't have the bandwidth for that right now. Like if I was a counselor like you, it would be an extremely effective tool, I would assume, to be able to help my clients. But for now, I just I, I really wanted to just, you know, tell people out there about it because I really do think that it can be a very powerful way of helping us be better, you know, have a happier life. Well, if you want better relationships, mm-hmm. learn the Enneagram. Yeah. Learn the Enneagram. What it does is when you know a partner's personality style, you will have more compassion empathy, understanding, you will be given a language uh, that the two of you can use to talk about your inner worlds. It will give you a sense of humor about each other. And I can just tell you that when, when I learned the Enneagram at, you know, year 20 in my marriage, I thought I knew my wife and I realized how little I really understood her. And Mm. there were tears. There were, I remember my wife reading about her type in bed and I came in and she was crying. She's like, I, this is saying clearly what I had always felt vaguely about myself, but I didn't have the words to tell you. That's how powerful it can be. I actually in, uh, underlined that section in the book when you talked about your wife and how it was such a powerful tool that it gave her the ability to describe how it was living inside her body you know, being her. I underlined that because I thought it was so powerful. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the conversation. Okay. So now I, I kind of would like to go into more detail about me and Ryan. So I'm a two and Ryan is a seven. He kind of seems like a different number, but We'll go with seven because that's what his unconscious, you know, beliefs, desires showed him that he was when he did the test. So what are some tips that you can share? You know, I don't know if you know my history, but I was on the first bachelor and then I was the first bachelorette and I met Ryan, my husband on the show. So everyone watched us, not everyone, but a lot of people watch us um, get engaged, you know, fall in love, get engaged, get married actually on television. So a lot of people are kind of invested in our relationship, I would say. If, if people don't want to listen from here on out, you should listen till the end because you'll get 15% off Ian's uh, IQ nine. But I would love to share or get into kind of how Ryan and I can 
improve our relationship or be better for each other as a two and a seven. Okay. Well, the very first thing I would say, Trista, is you need to do your own work and he needs to do his own work. You have to, you have to jump in and work on your own self-discovery and uh, on those aspects of your personality that are working against your relationship. Right. Uh, So that's the first step, right? Do your own work. Then I'd say for, you know, twos and sevens can make a pretty great relationship. In fact, any two numbers can be a great relationship to the extent that they're self-aware and understand themselves and each other. So Mm -hmm. there's no like magic pairing, you know, like, like any two numbers can be great so long as they fulfill that sort of criteria, right? Um, They understand themselves and each other through the lens of the Enneagram, right? Yeah. So one of the things you have to work on in that relationship is boundaries. Learning to say, these are my needs direct yeah. <laughs> and to say it directly. And and you will have trouble knowing what your needs are because you have spent your whole life being attuned in, to and meeting the needs of others. Mm-hmm. So that's a big big growth point for twos, right? For your husband, I'd say he has to work on living in the present moment. He is so future-minded if he's a seven. He is always thinking about the next plan, the next adventure, the next, <sighs> the next escapade. Yes. Um, any, and, and by the way, you see, why is he doing it? Think of the unconscious motivation. Because he doesn't like emotional or psychological pain. He doesn't like things like the feeling of stuck. Sure. Uh, in fact, commitment comes hard for sevens who aren't very self-aware. And that's not necessarily in relationships, though it can be early on. It can be like they don't like to make a commitment to a course of action. Sometimes it's like they always want an escape plan. They want multiple options. They have trouble sometimes finishing projects because they're distractible and they have racy thoughts. They have monkey mind that's kind of running at a million miles an hour, right? In a relationship that can become, as you can imagine, troublesome, right? Because for example, you're a lot more okay with difficult feelings than he is. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example in a relationship. Like when, when you have to confront a seven with something that's wrong in the relationship, they can go rapidly into denial. Mm. Like at this place where it's like, no, everything's great. Everything's great. You know, it's like, you got to hold their feet to the fire and say, everything is not great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always tell people, you got about 15 minutes with a seven to have a hard conversation about something. You, I'm a fort. You want to have a hard conversation? I got all day long for it. Okay. You want to have sad feelings? Oh, baby, I can have melancholy. Oh, baby. Now, now that can be a problem too. But for the, I would say that the, the seven, it's like just having a little strategy, like I'm going to spend 15 or we're going to have 15 or 30 minutes, Ryan, just to talk about this hard issue with one of the kids or with our relationship or Mm -hmm. some other thing. And then at the end of that time, we're going to stop and then maybe we'll pick it up again tomorrow. It's like they only have so much tolerance. Yeah. Before it's like, this is too emotionally and psychologically difficult, you Mm -hmm. know? And then, you know, it's just in knowing these strategies and these patterns, like what it does is just eliminate so many conflicts in the relationship. It just makes, makes things go so much smoother Uh, And really allows love to flourish, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's got a ton of energy and always wants to be with people. So do you. You love interpersonal. You are the most relational number on the Enneagram. You go to bed at Mm -hmm. night. You go to bed at night thinking about relationships. You get up in the morning thinking about relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He gets Mm -hmm. up in the morning. He's thinking about adventure and fun and all the things he's going to do, not only that day, but in a year from now when he wants to ride a bike across Argentina. (laughs) True story. I mean, climb a mountain in Argentina. Yes. He's always, yeah. Totally. Uh Uh, You know, maybe naked skydiving over Utah. I mean, it's just, you know, and, (laughs) and you, you may find yourself sometimes in a, in a position where you're having to go behind him in some people's relationships and be the voice of feelings. Because he's okay having happy feelings, but anything sort of on the other end of the spectrum, 
the darker feelings is not great for him. Do you know what, though? He's gotten way better. And, you know, it's interesting because so many things that you're saying are like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, yes, 100% true, 100% true. But I feel like we've, we've got, I mean, we've been married for almost 20 years. And I feel like in the beginning of our relationship, so much of this is spot on. But I feel like we have gotten a little better. We've done some, you know, personal growth work, I feel like, over the years. And and knowing each other and knowing what each of our needs are, I feel like we have done a little bit of work to be better, but, but I, I mean, it's, it's, this is, you're speaking my language of our languages, you know, because this is, this is who we are and I want to continue the growth work. Yeah. I did an interview with the founder of Tom's Shoes, a guy named Blake Mykoski. I know Blake. Oh my gosh. So go listen to that episode because he, he is a seven off the charts. Ah. And he talks a lot about his own emotional, spiritual journey toward self-discovery and how it has helped him so dramatically. That's a great episode. And that's another thing that people can do. You know, when you listen to my show, Typology, I'm not describing types. I'm interviewing people of that type and allow, and it's so much more powerful when someone describes their own experience as that type than if I describe it. Oh yeah. 100%. I love that you do that because you can just flip to a person that has your type and really learn more about yourself, relate to them in different ways that you didn't feel like maybe spoke to you before and learn how you can be better. So I love it. I think it's great. I would love for you to talk about, you did put out something that was, that I don't know if it was recently or not, but it's the seven things not to do with the Enneagram. Can you get into that a little bit? And you don't, if it's not the seven things, just, I would love to know kind of what, I don't want people to use them as a weapon. I feel like, as you said earlier, how can they not use it as a weapon? Like how should they not use the Enneagram? Well, you know, you're, it's a great question. They, I would say that, you know, if you use the Enneagram incorrectly, it causes more problems than it solves. Right. Mm, Yeah. So for example, um, you know, I would say never use the Enneagram as a way to dismiss or insult somebody. And people will do this all the time where it's like, as I mentioned earlier, oh, you're such a two or you're such a one right now, or you're such a six or you laugh at them. You know what I mean? Because there you go again, you know, uh, just helping everybody without asking for them, waiting for them to ask for it. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, you want to be very, very careful with that. I'd say uh, another thing you want to avoid is typing other people, as I mentioned earlier, like that's a, not a good thing to do. The only way a person knows their type is if they verify it for themselves, right? You, Mm -hmm. you cannot do it for them. It's a big mistake, right? Yeah. You know, have, have a little bit of humility around the Enneagram, you know, like do your own work. Uh, Don't use it to tell people how to do their work. You know, like, like, well, I learned my husband's type because I want to tell him how to fix it. And, you know, you learn the Enneagram. It's like, well, Ryan, you need to do this and this and that and this and that. You know, it's like, no, do your own work and uh, Mm -hmm. don't use telling someone else about the work they need to do as a way to avoid doing your own work. True. You know, and there's a lot of other ways, um, you know, I call them Enneagram ethics uh, that that people should you know, practice as they work with the Enneagram. And I I guess the one I just say is so important is do your own work. And, you know, don't tell yourself that you know more about the Enneagram than you actually do. Just just because you're familiar with the nine types, there's so much more to it. Just because you know someone's personality type does not necessarily mean you know them. There's so much more to the human person than their personality. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we are yes. complex, mysterious, soulish creatures. It's going to give you, yeah, I don't know, 10% more understanding of another person, which is a gigantic mm-hmm. amount. That's a yeah. huge step forward. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not like this thing decodes another human being. So, you know, them with complete clarity and certainty. It's like that, too, is a big mistake. Those are great. Great, great tips. Okay, so a question that I ask everyone who comes on the show that I've kind of changed a little bit. Um, I used to ask people, how do they plan on being better tomorrow personally? But I'm changing it into, you know, you are an expert 
of the Enneagram. And so I'd love to know your top piece of advice on how my listeners can be better tomorrow. Mindfulness meditation. Mm, oh my gosh, that comes up in every single podcast, I swear. Every every single podcast. You want a different one? No, mindfulness. I I mean, it's so powerful. Everyone talks to it. So yes, I, I'd love to know more. Well, what mindfulness meditation does is it helps you develop the attentional muscle in your brain that can help you live in the present moment with the power of self-observation, the ability to stand back from yourself and live responding to life rather than reacting to life. That's, that's something so, I need. oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we all have a million triggers. I'm always asking people, tell me your top 10 hits. Mm-hmm. What is it that gets you every time? Yeah. Um, what triggers you? And then when you begin to practice mindfulness meditation, you begin to respond differently to those triggers. Yeah. You, you have the ability to pause, the ability to very peacefully go, hmm, here it is. What would I mm-hmm. like? What do I want to do now? And here's a question you could ask. In the pause, you could say, what does love require of me right now? I'm writing that down. <laughs> right. So when you get triggered by the cashier, you know, at behind the table, cause you can't stand it when people disrespect you. Like that's a major trigger. Oh my gosh. This is the biggest one. Oh, okay. Especially with my kids. Okay. So when that happens, you, and you have like, like you can tell a trigger, it's like a disproportionate emotional response. Right. Yeah. And then you can say, Oh, there it is. Now I could react. And that never ends well. Or I could respond. How do I want to respond? Now, in order to have that freedom, what mindfulness meditation does is it opens up that space that you can step into before you, you know, you you have a reaction and then you step into this other space and before you act on it and say, okay, how, what does love require of me right now? And And use that as the kind of the criteria for your response, you know? So with the cashier, you might say, huh, I wonder what her home life's like. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if she's a single mom and she's so taxed that all she can be is snippy right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you open your mind to other, your heart to other possibilities mm-hmm. and you respond as the person you would most want to be. Hmm. I wish I had... <laughs> talk to you before yesterday. I had this big, not not knockdown drag out, but my daughter was in a dance competition and she was super stressed out. And, and I called my husband afterwards and I'm like, I feel like I'm failing at parenthood. I just feel like I'm failing. I didn't have the words to help her. And, you know, as the helper in the Enneagram, that's what I need to do. I need to be able to help her through it. So, holy cow. Can I give you another little tip on how to be better? Please. <laughs> when you have, what, what was the feeling? Shame. Uh, you had a moment maybe, and I'm going to use a strong term, self-rejection, okay. possibly a little self-loathing. You know what I mean? Like, self, yes. you know, you, and, you know, disappointed in yourself and you get that all 100%. twisted up inside feeling like I'm a failure. I'm not enough which is the Mm -hmm. big word that shame says, you know, not enough, not enough. You'll never be enough, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a lousy parent. So when you hear that phrase in your head, if you can stop and mindfulness helps with this, you stop when you get that feeling and you go, what, what am I believing right now? Mm -hmm. And you might say, I had to do this yesterday. What am I believing right now? Uh, That I'm a lousy mother. Then the next question is, is it true? Mm. And And then you have to think to yourself, And you might say, well, it feels true. And then you have to say, no, 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 no. Is it really true? And then, you know, you probably will say, well, I do feed them. I do clothe them. They, you know, (laughs) I'm, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, they get dental checkups and whatever. (laughs) And then you can say to yourself, what would my, what would my life be like if I, if I abandoned this belief right now? I just, how would things be different? Uh, And it would make everything different. 
right? And then, you know, just confronting the lie in the moment, just confronting the lie is very powerful toward helping it sort of vanish a little bit or weaken. And mindfulness is what will make that possible. That mindfulness will support you, the ability to stop and not get lost in the tailspin, you know, where you can't get yourself out, you know, and now your emotions, your personality and your emotions have control of you. You don't have a personality in that moment. Your personality has you. So at that moment, the ability to say, okay, I want to step back and uh, ask myself a few questions. Uh, And you could ask yourself too, what does love require of me in relationship to myself right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So powerful. Like you're, you have multiple times made me want to cry during this conversation just because what you're saying is so powerful. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I I mean, just soothing for me. And I feel like so many people will be able to relate to the things that even you've said, you know, to me about my struggles. So thank you. Um, Where can everyone find you? Well, they can go to Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. And there you'll learn about you know, my assessment. In fact, your folks can get a 15% discount if they go to my website. Uh, they could actually go to ianmorgancron.com slash assessment. Mm-hmm. And it, if they enter the discount code, all capital letters, better 15, then mm-hmm. they'll get 15% off on my assessment. Um, but they can also learn, you know, about my true you course, or they can learn about, uh, my speaking dates or, you know, how to follow us on all our social channels, as well as all the other cool things happening there, including my, my podcast typology. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, thoroughly have enjoyed reading your book. And I think what you are spreading is incredibly powerful and exactly what I want my listeners to know about. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter Fan Page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.